Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome along to Le Bourgeois after another weekend of drama in Ligue 1 Uber Eats. It's Advantage Marseille in the race for second as Sampaoli's men overcome Nice on a noisy night at the Velodrome. Rennes hit Metz for six. They're now up to third place. But it's three away defeats in a row for the leaders Paris Saint-Germain. Unacceptable, disgraceful, inadmissible. They're all words that Maurizio Pochettino used to describe his team's performance in the 3-0 loss at Monaco. We wonder if the Parisians are going to be able to stir themselves enough to play the final nine matches. We'll also discuss another disastrous weekend for the bottom club, Bordeaux. We'll answer your questions. Plus, we have a Marco Verratti Paris Saint-Germain shirt up for grabs in our Deja Who competition. Joining me on the podcast this morning, Ian Holyman is with us. League 1 commentator, how are you, Ian? Very well, Matthew. Thank you. How's things there? Um, okay, bad weekend actually. We got burgled, which oh. um, which wasn't nice. I was I was um, at the cinema with my daughter. Oh. Got a, got a message from the neighbour and um, came home. And f- interestingly enough, it's quite unusual. This they, the the police were already there. A neighbour spotted them, and they've actually caught the burglars. So that, they 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 caught the the two lads. So anyway, it's um yeah, it's been a it's been a slightly um uncomfortable uneasy weekend but um we we'll talk about Liga more than my uh, problems at home <laughs> Andreas Avagora is with us another Liga commentator how are you Andreas I'm, I'm all good I'm sorry to hear about your weekend and I uh, hope you got your stuff back did, did were there any did precious like football shirts that they nicked no no this is no it. just the take, Arsenal they ones didn't... oh God, I was waiting for that <laughs> They didn't take much at all. Apparently, they were just looking for jewellery. They found a, a little bracelet, um, and uh, and and that's all they took. What was weird was coming back from the cinema, thinking, "God, we're going to find the house ransacked." My biggest concern was that I'd spent all Saturday taking notes and doing doing research for the Monaco PSG commentary, and I'd left it because my bag was ready because I was going to Monaco early the next morning, and I'd left my bag with my computer, my passport, and my notes. And all I was thinking about was like, "Oh God, the notes." Gonna have to do all that again tomorrow morning, which um, yeah. But they didn't take it, so all good, all good. Um, it was a big weekend. It was a big weekend for me down in Monaco. But we're going to start by talking about Marseille and Nice going into the weekend. It was uh, second against third. That that change come kick off time uh, because of uh, because of Ren's victory. Um, Ian Holyman was commentating uh, at the, uh, the the Orange Velodrome. Let's hear let's hear what happened. It's a lovely return ball from Payet for Under, who makes the most of the challenge. Oh, it's a penalty, says Jerome Brisa. Discussion between Dimitri Payet and Arkadiusz Milik of who will take this. I think it's the pole that's won by the looks of that. Can he keep Arkadiusz Milik out here? He can't. Milik sends Benitez the wrong way, and the Marseille fans wild. Milik's seventh league goal of the season is 20th in all competitions. That's nicely done by Vakambu, who wants it back. And we'll get it as well. And that wraps it up. 
fabulous header from Cedric Bakambu. And the delight on the face of Jorge Sampaoli matched by the capacity crowd at the Stade Velodrome. Marseille 2, Nice 0. And Marseille heading back into second in the Ligue 1 Uber Eats table. Certainly put a dampener on things if Nice were to score here. And they have. Lamina turning it in at the near post to pull one back. It's 2-1. Yes, so Ian, drama in uh, in added time. Marseille got the job done. It was it was hairy though, wasn't it? In that second half, Nice Nice putting the pressure on at at one nil and coming close on a number of occasions. Definitely, um, I, I think the hairiest the hairiest moment was was the penalty that wasn't given. Um, I, d- I don't know whether you'll agree with this, Matt, but uh, Andy Delore was fouled by William Saliba in the second half uh, and. It should have been a penalty. Delors was incandescent after the game. In fact, he, he sort of cut short one of the, the post-match TV interviews. He just said, and that's my final word on it. And that was it. And it, he, he was he was absolutely adamant it was a penalty. And it, it, it did was, look yeah, a penalty. VAR looked at it, didn't it? Well, they must have looked at it, but uh, the referee, Jérôme Brissard, didn't go and look at it himself. And I can't believe that the VAR didn't consider that Maybe the referee should have had a gun, should have had a look himself. It was it was a sort, one of those situations where balls coming into the box from the right hand side, and Delore is ahead of Saliba. He's he's probably going to get there, and he, there's nobody else in front of him except Paul Lopez, and and Saliba just bundles into the back of him, and it, it, it's a clear penalty. And the, the, even the the, cent, the the central referee's not even been sent across to have a look at it. I I read another interpretation this morning. I have to admit, I I. I looked just at one replay and thought, hmm, that could be given. Another interpretation was that Andy Delore has sort of changed direction and cut in front of Saliba and has collided. There's been a sort of accidental collision. But uh, yeah, Nice fan. I, I can understand Nice fans being pretty unhappy about that. And I, I wonder if Andy Delore is the most unlucky forward in the league even last season I remember he kept getting goals disallowed by VAR for like being a fraction offside and he had that goal didn't he at the beginning of the second half disallowed for an offside he wasn't offside but at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the move it's a it's a it's it's a bitter blow for for Nice given the uh given the situation but would you say that Marseille who played on Thursday night deserve credit as well because clearly in the second half they were flagging and and they had to dig deep they they did and the they they certainly did seem to really drop off in the second half, and at the same time, Nice picked up. Uh, as you mentioned, it was Calvin Stengs who was just offside at the start of the move that led to Delors scoring, sort of the, 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 that goal that didn't count two minutes in. But then at the opposite end, um, Marseille would have nearly had a goal ruled out as well, where Milik produced a, a lovely little chip over Benitez, and unfortunately, Nice cleared it off the line. It was Tadibo who was excellent. And um, but but that also would have been offside. But I, I was just just a just a quick thing that occurred to me last night: Tadibo and Saliba. Surely that's the that's the centre back partner partnership for France for for years to come. I mean, the, those those two boys are absolutely fabulous. I think Saliba turns twenty one in three days' time. Um, it's so hard to believe he plays with such composure. And, and Tadibo, 
in the absence of Dante, let's let's not forget that as well. Uh, nice had him suspended after he was sent off at Montpellier last weekend. He was up in the stands wearing a very fetching, very trendy uh, coat <laughs> and a mask. Um, in, 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 there was no Nice fans there. It was a, it was a tremendous. It's still a tremendous atmosphere. Incredible support from from Marseille. But Bakambu comes off the bench, scores a, he scores a great header, and it looks really Lovely all goal, done yeah. and dusted. And then Lamina sticks one in ninety first minute. And to be to be honest, there wasn't really enough time. Nice didn't really get any chances after that. But um, it it it, it was sort of a backs to the wall sort of performance from Marseille as well. Yeah, Gerson, the Brazil international was impressive and he has been impressive in, in, in recent weeks. A couple of assists for him, uh, one against Basel and, uh, and, and, and one last night. Andreas, Marseille, 53 points. They're 12 behind PSG now, but importantly, they're one ahead of Rennes and three ahead of Nice. I mean, it's looking like, although let's not rule Strasbourg out, Strasbourg back on 48 points. So they're now four points off the top three. It's looking like those three for the... Um, for the other two Champions League places, let's say. And, you know, Marseille have um, have stolen a march, certainly on Nice this weekend. I think so, yeah. It was a good match. It was one of those victoire référence that the French talk about, like a statement win against a, 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 a rival. And it's interesting, the rivalry between those two clubs. It's been bubbling up, hasn't it, unfortunately, in, in the wrong way earlier this season with the, with the crowd trouble. But it's turning into a, a sort of a genuine rivalry down on the south coast. Um, yes, between the two of those three, Marseille got a tricky. Marseille got a tricky run in, haven't they? If you look at the last two or three matches, um, but of those three, I, I think I'd go for for Marseille because they're grinding out these wins, and Rennes just because they got so many goals in them. I, I'm a little bit worried about whether Nice have got enough goals in them. Maybe they've been a bit unlucky, as you've been saying with with, with the law. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting battle. Um, two of those three going through um, to the Champions League, and yeah good win for Marseille last night. The midfield was excellent. There's a lot of talk about the midfield. There was an interview with Sampaoli saying he'd like to play 10 midfielders. I don't know if you saw that. That's his sort of dream formation. Zero, 10, he zero. Plays a lot. He plays a lot of it, doesn't he? <laughs> he well, does. He good. Yeah, Jason was good. I think I've heard um, Guardiola say that as well. He just likes he just likes to play midfielders everywhere. And Man City, you know, they've played with sort of seven midfielders, haven't they? And, and Marseille have done but he something played, He did, didn't he? Like Ian says, because yeah. he played Bubaga Camera effectively as one of the back three, and he's usually a midfielder. Rangier um, plays this yeah. hybrid role where he comes across at right back. There was a good interview with, with Rangier in L'Equipe as well, where he was talking about the differences, you know, playing fullback to playing midfield and how he's had to adapt at a late stage in his career, having never learned how to play there. He had Gerson playing a, a left back. He wanted to play Pat Gay because he's been, because he's been very good in, in recent weeks. And Sampaoli's turned things around somewhat, hasn't he? Because there was a lot of concern about him, uh, suggestions that the dressing room um, weren't really, weren't really convinced, but um, his, his choices are paying the whole tension around Milik's position seems to have uh, seems to have been settled now. Insofar as he is an automatic choice, and by the way, he's got twenty goals now in all competitions, which um, is incredible considering he only came back from injury in October. Um, San Paoli's left him out on a number of occasions. I know he's scored some goals against lower league teams, um, but um, but that's you know that's that's pretty impressive, isn't it? We're gonna Ian. I'm I'm just gonna ask you a question because we're gonna talk a bit about about Ren as well. But we got an email from Matt Woods. Um, you mentioned the fact that there were no Nice supporters um, at at the game, and it's true that it's something that 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 we lack at times in in Ligue 1. Often you see the away supporters uh, are banned, 
Um, Matt Woods wrote in and says, yeah, we went to watch Nice at Montpellier uh, the previous weekend where the fans and anybody from the uh, 06, the uh, department of, uh, of Nice, were banned at short notice, citing the Delors transfer. And um, again, Nice-Marseille, no travelling support. Um, again, it was decided at short notice. Any thoughts, Ian Holyman? As, you know, it, it seems to be the local authorities, the prefecture, the, the police who are making these decisions. Um, but it is a shame, isn't it? It's, it's a real shame, uh, especially for, for a club like Nice, which have got, which have got travelling fans. I mean, you've got huge distances in France, so you can kind of forgive, forgive fans for not making the trip from, let's say, Nice to Brest, which is incredible a credible flight never mind to drive but it is it, it the thing for me and this is it's it's been a phenomenon that's happened what, for the last five six seven years and it but has become more and more frequent it's almost systematic now that for any sort of game where there might be a little bit of an edge then the fans are banned and it, it's a huge shame but i think it's 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 also just missing the problem i mean Let's let's not hide hide from the fact that France, French football does to a certain degree have a, a hooligan problem, or maybe not hooligan problem in the way that we had it in the nineteen eighties in the UK, but there's certainly a good degree of unrest. We've seen a number of games disrupted this season, of course, but it, it's it's not just that we've we've had problems over the last over the last ten years in French football that have not really been looked at, not really been dealt with questions about the power of fans and ultras within the clubs and how they're encouraged by the clubs to create the atmosphere and the clubs kind of some of the clubs maybe look the other way when uh, slightly more unsavory things happen um actually i was at the velodrome a week last thursday uh for the game against basel the first leg and uh, just talking about San Paoli turning things around at half time, uh, they were booed off. Uh, so it's it's been a very quick turnaround. But some of the explosions that were going off inside the stadium, but uh, things thrown. I, I I think it's stuff that's thrown and just uh, these huge explosions. I mean, the, one of them absolutely ter- terrified me. You just felt that felt the wave of the blast. And you've got. But nobody's really doing anything about this. How, how there were hundreds of flares went off. How are fans getting into stadiums with these flares, which are incredible, which can be incredibly dangerous, and sometimes get thrown onto the pitch? Um, I think that really the police—they're kind of just avoiding the problem. They're just saying, "Okay, we're going to ban everybody, make it easy for ourselves." And then the the, the real question of of being of dealing with these people who have caused problems at games. And, and could potentially cause problems at games and outside stadiums isn't being isn't being dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. But if we talk about away fans, because I mean, as well, you're talking about Marseille home supporters and the and and the atmosphere at, at Marseille. I think as well, Andreas, there there we have to say there isn't the same culture certainly compared to the UK of travelling to to away matches. You get usually a few hundred supporters and I've, I've I've always been surprised there was one day I, I always remember where I went to watch it was Carlo Ancelotti's first game in charge of PSG and they were playing a lower league team in Brittany and the game was played in Lorient um, and I remember getting on a train I, I, I was going to work as a reporter and I think I paid 12 euros for the train it was uh, one of those not we go it was, I can't remember but they have these deals where you know you get you get on these trains and it's like an amazing service 
you go for two and a half, three hours, you, you pay 12 euros. And the train was empty. And I was just thinking, what, like, what, where are the fans? And I know generally the fans who do go, they go by bus. And I wonder if the geography in France as well makes it complicated. You were saying, you know, if you're a Brest fan and you're playing Marseille, it's just like a ridiculous uh, journey. It's just such a huge country compared compared to the UK. But we're maybe going off the subject a bit, Andreas, but it, it, it is a shame that those, even if it's only a few hundred supporters, aren't getting to go to the games. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I think Ian really explained it very well. I mean, historically, matches were played on Saturday night, weren't they? Which doesn't make it any easier because you can't get home. Whereas in England, we were used to playing on a Saturday afternoon, so you could pretty much do a return trip anywhere in the UK. Um, there isn't that that uh, that culture of of going away. But also, just to go back on, on what Ian was saying about the flares, to, to me, that's something that's quite easy to crack down on. I mean, you know, there's video cameras everywhere now at Stadia. Surely you can identify um, a fan who is letting off a flare and ban them for life. And, and I, I think clubs on that, score have got to be much stronger because that is very dangerous i mean that's just a danger to the public so um it's a tricky problem we haven't got time to go through it but there are some things that the french authorities could be doing and that's one of them but can i just say yesterday i mean i wasn't in marseille on sunday but i was listening on the radio um and apparently there was just an immense party from about three o'clock in the afternoon fireworks going off all over the place around the stad velodrome the atmosphere i don't know if you you know if you seen videos obviously Ian you were commentating the game the choreography absolutely stunning the noise in the stadium absolutely stunning so yes we have to keep everybody safe but we're not going to watch ballet we're not going to watch um, figure skating I think we have to say as well it's fantastic to have that color and that passion and if we can contain it in a secure environment then that's then that's all you know all 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 the better so and also the you know involvement from ultras and, and supporters, you can say, oh, it goes too far or why are the supporters deciding this? But, you know, in the UK at the moment, people, supporters of big football clubs in the Premier League would absolutely love to have some sort of say in the running of their football club. And I think we'll talk about Bordeaux. We'll come back to fan involvement later, later in, in the pod. But we're going to, sorry, Ian, yeah. yeah just a, just a quick one. If Just a quick, just to put this in geographical context, if you drive two and a half hours from Brest to Rennes, you're still in Brittany. So there's a five hour round trip just to go to just to go to a match which is in your region. Yeah, Brittany's huge, yeah. Uh, and you, uh, Brest Brest to uh, Monaco, any ideas? Driving? I would say ten, ten hours, ten which hours? is about the same as going from Arsenal to Crystal Palace on a bad Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Thirteen and a half. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a flight really. Um Ren, we need to we need to talk about them. We've we've featured Ren quite a bit. Um, we weren't going to talk about them so much this week, but they've they've caught our eyes uh, once again. Ren six, Mets one. Um, Bruno Genesio decided to uh, bring Girassi in to give Laborde a bit of a rest. Girassi scores a hat trick. Martin Terrier uh, got two goals. He's got sixteen in the league now this season. Flaviante uh, is making a big difference, having returned from injury. He was he was brilliant. Amari Traore the uh, inspirational captain scored one made one uh from from right back and they're just uh an all action football team the the uh the danger comes from everywhere i thought they were brilliant against leicester hugely unlucky could have had four penalties over the tie certainly should have had one or two um and leicester my goodness me they will be feeling 
mightily relieved to have to to have got through and that was a bit of disappointment because Ren over the two legs were clearly the better team and I think they you know they're lacking that uh, I mentioned it last week that European know-how um but um they're they're gaining great experience aren't they Ian and they're just an absolute joy to watch they are and I, I was at the game on on Thursday I spoke to Yuri Tielemans after it and I I, I I said to him Yuri you must be you must be delighted and and relieved and he, he just went yeah because it was it was full on the pressure from Ren certainly in the closing stages um I, I, to, I, they should have. They should have scored. They should have they? scored. It was, it was agonising. They should have the scored. Guirassi had that chance that Schmeichel made a really good save, and they they just pushed and pushed, and, and they played. Re- they went. They really went toe to toe with Leicester, and were just. They had them on the ropes for, for for much of the game. They there was ironically, it's a, a French defender, Wesley Fofana, who was playing his first game of the season, who who got the goal that that eventually has has, has knocked them out, really, but. That, talking about atmospheres there, that's a fabulous atmosphere in Wren, and there's not really that extra edge which makes you a little bit concerned for people's safety. Although there was a big surge, um, there was a big surge in that game and uh, a barrier collapse. But fortunately, it seems that nobody was 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 too badly injured. But it was a, it was a tremendous game, and and Wren, as you said, the danger just comes from everywhere. You know, Terrier is now on sixteen goals. He's got more than Laporte this season. Bourigeau, Bourigeau scoring as well. Superb. Yeah. I think Bourigeau is some Bourigeau, Lovro, Maya. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, they just attack in waves and, um, and, and it's great to see. And I said a few weeks ago, Andreas, not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be a know-it-all, but I said, they're the team playing the best football and I reckon they're going to finish second. And I'm, I'm obviously going to, going to stand by that now because I think they've got so much, so much left and so many goals. And you look at Marseille and Nice and uh, yes, they're very well organised. They're tactically very strong, but it's hard work to, to score a goal for both of them. Yeah, I, I heard a coach a few years ago saying at, at this stage of the season, when you're going into the the international break or coming out of it, you're thinking about what what are the what are the problems you fix before the start of the season, and, and what are the ones you you still have to work on. And and Ren, you know, I've said it before, they've clearly got so many goals in them that that's not a problem for them. They're going to be scoring a lot of goals. Uh, occasionally, you know, they've gone through a few bad patches and, and a few bad runs, but they, they are a, a pleasure to watch. Um, you've got to say, though, Mets were absolutely awful. I mean, they're defending. You can't even call it schoolboy defending. It, it, it was schoolboys not defending. I, I I cannot see them staying up with that kind of defending. They were all over the place. And and really, Ren, they missed a bunch of sitters as well. It really could have been double figures. I was just going to say, Matt. Yeah, um, looking at, Le- looking at oh. Lickie. No, sorry, sorry, Ian. Um, yeah, so no, I was just looking at Lekeep's marks and uh, uh, every Mets player has got two out of ten. I think it's almost like the guy marking them was just like, well, pff, I'm not going to bother going through each player two out of ten. Yes, yeah, I was just going to say, come back, come back to Ren. Uh, Chris, Christophe Galtier was asked, which which of uh, Nice and Marseille uh, is best equipped to finish second? This was in this pre-match press conference. His answer, Ren. Ren. <laughs> and uh, if you look at the table now, Ren obviously pushed up into second yesterday, but it's... The goal scored, they're the leading scorers in the division. If you said to anybody at this stage of the season, who'll be the top scorers when you've got PSG with Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, you're not picking Ren, but but they are. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about PSG, Messi, Neymar and uh, and Mbappe. But um, before that, let's bring in our, our Deja Who competition. It's time... Uh, 
It's time to, to relax if you're Ian and uh, Andreas, and it's time to, to get your phones or iPads or computers out at home and to get onto Google and to, to try to get our latest conundrum. We had, to, we had two last week because we had uh, one that we, that we carried over, so I will do my best to go through this uh, fairly rapidly. So the one that was carried over, the Jerome Boating shirt, um, who was the first female coach on a Ligue 2 bench and what does she do now? It is not Helena Costa who left Clermont in 2014 before she coached a game um, and was replaced by the correct answer, Corinne Diac, who is now uh, the coach of France. The winner of the Jerome Boating shirt, James Cathy. Congratulations to James, longtime listener of Le Bourgeois. You will be getting a Jerome Boating uh, Leon shirt. Well done for emailing in League One Podcast at gmail.com. The official clue then, the official Deja Vu from, from last week. Um, this is a little bit longer. I made my Ligue 1 debut at 21 for my hometown club and went on to play for four other teams in the French top flight and one English club, getting my hot little hands on the Coupe de la Ligue with three different teams and the Ligue 1 championship with two of them. My bad boy stroke, good-natured larrikin image proved a heady mix and trouble. Rumour and innuendo were never far away, despite all the legendary tales of my joie de vivre, my weakness for student night and regular run-ins with the law that sometimes threatened to overshadow my achievements on the pitch. My top-flight career lasted a full 16 years and I earned 48 caps for my country. That was a tricky one from Robbie Thompson. I have to admit, and I rarely admit this, I didn't know and... Um, I'm a bit disappointed uh, in myself, but quite a few of uh, you people out there did know the correct answer. Suleiman Diawara, who started his career at Le Havre, won the Coupe de la Ligue with Sochaux, Bordeaux and Marseille, including three in a row with Bordeaux and OM. And uh, he also won back-to-back league titles with Bordeaux and Marseille. He played 48 times for Senegal. He wore gloves out of superstition. And he also played for Charlton Athletic for one season between Sochaux and and Bordeaux, and he was he was a proper defender. I tell you, you, you wouldn't want to play against Suleiman Diawara. Anyway, the winner, Thomas DeRoy. Congratulations to Thomas. You are the winner of a beautiful Cameldine Sulemana Ren shirt. That is uh, very good. I have to say I'm jealous of you, Thomas. So uh, we'll be in touch. Now, Ian and uh, Andreas, you're still, you're still with us, I assume. It's been a bit of a monologue from me. Let's see if you can get this one. Um... This week's Deja Vu conundrum, Marco Verratti's shirt. Um, you could win it. And if it's his shirt from Sunday, it won't have any sweat on it. So here we go. Who am I? An underrated career in my homeland. I only played four times for my country. But that is not reflected by the size of my trophy cabinet. Despite already counting the Champions League and several championship winners' medals, my star rose highest when I arrived in France where my rock star aura and spectacular goals helped my club win the Coupe de la Ligue and the Coupe de France, and I was named Ligue 1 Player of the Year. A change in club brought my one and only Ligue 1 Championship triumph before, in classic rock star style, my career trailed off. With just one goal in my last four campaigns and a short-lived move to a third French club. My glittering playing reputation has struggled to be upheld in coaching, and all that really remains of my illustrious past is the rock star haircut. I like it, Robbie. I like it. If you think you know the answer, league1podcast at gmail.com. I'm, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Andreas, do you know this one? It's that thing about League and Player of the Year, which is obviously quite an exclusive club. 
I, I had one in mind, yeah. but I, I was going to say him. It's not another trick with a woman, is it, Robbie? I hope. No, it's got to be a man well. after a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, could that's a, a good one. Could it, be a referee, could be yeah, anything, yeah. I was going to say, no, it's a good one. It's good. It, that's, that's a good question. Tricky. Yeah, I don't think we haven't had a referee win League on Player of the Year. I think Tony Chaperon wanted it um, on a couple of occasions, but he never got it. Um, Ian, easy, hard. I, I was just, I was just waiting for the second chapter from Tolstoy Thompson. Quite frankly, <laughs> I know they're getting longer by the week. Let's move on to the Ligue 1 Uber Eats action. Um, I was at Monaco PSG. Let's hear what happened at the Stade Louis de. Well played. Yusuf Fofana. His cross to the near post. Is some finish from Wissam Ben Yedder. Well, the goal had been coming. And it is not a surprise to see that it's Monaco's captain with his 16th league goal this season. And Paris Saint-Germain are at last punished for a very slow start to this game. It was good play from Yusuf Fofana bursting up this right-hand side. Got there ahead of Nuno Mendes. The run from Ben Yedda, who's, uh, I think, just about level with the ball, so he's not offside. What about that for a finish on the outside of his left boot? Absolutely exquisite from Ben Yedda. Oh, great pass from... Uh, oh, Mbappe, he's going to score, surely. No! How on earth did Kylian Mbappe not score there? It was a gift... Mbappe denied really by Nubel. Good turn from Fofana. Here's Wilson Benyeda. Aguilar looking to get up alongside him. Here's Ruben Aguilar with the cross! And the ball is swept over by Kevin Bollock. Oh, Philippe Clement's substitution works out. Without a goal or an assist, picks a great time to end the drought. Monaco, two goals to the good. And PSG staring at a third consecutive away defeat in Liga Uber Eats. Gay to Harati. Harati picked it by uh, Ben Yedda. And now Volland through the middle. Kevin Volland has gone down. It's a penalty to Monaco. And up to Diallo. Uh, Kimpembe, sorry, Kimpembe has taken the German down. Ben Yedda against Gigio Donnarumma. The stuttering run and the save, no! Oh, it looks as though the Italian had kept it out. The ball, though, has ended up in the back of the net. And Monaco have got their third goal. It is turning into a very humbling day for Paris Saint-Germain. Monaco, three. PSG, nil. Well, Monaco running out 3-0 victors and uh, deservedly so. I mean, uh, you know, overall, you, you look at the chances. Alexander Nubel did have to make some good saves, particularly in the, uh, in the second half. But, I mean, what really struck me was that Monaco wanted it so much more than PSG. And, uh, you know, the first 15 minutes in particular was shocking. It really was. Um, from a, a commitment point of view, you, you could see that Paris Saint-Germain were far less interested than than Monaco. They couldn't string three passes, two passes together, even in the, in, in the first fifteen minutes. That you know that was partly down to Monaco's pressing, which was excellent. Um, 
But it, you know, it it was a horror show. And don't forget, Monaco went into this game with one victory from eight. They've gone out of the Coupe de France. They've gone out of the Europa League. They've dropped down to mid-table in Ligue 1 Uber. So, you know, two crisis clubs, if you like. I know it's a little bit ironic to call a team 15 points clear at the top a crisis club, but that is a reflection of the reality because they are deeply depressed with the Champions League situation. There is a disconnect between the club and the supporters right now. Um, but Ian, first of all, let's give Monaco, um, let's give Monaco some credit. And uh, Wissam Ben Yedda alone for that, for that first goal um, is just absolutely wonderful finish from, a, from an incredible goal scorer. Oh, what a goal. What what a goal! Just to, <laughs> just to, just to draw draw the picture. I mean, maybe maybe you did in in, in your commentary, but um, the ball comes in quite low, hard. I think it's Sidibe with the ball in, is it? So for, maybe it was Fofana. No, it was Fofana. Fofana's, Fofana's Fofana. ball in from the right and um, drill really drills it in. And and Ben Yedder's actually ahead of the near post slightly, and he just he just uses the pace of the ball, but angles his the outside of his his left foot to. Send it past Donnarumma, quite you know, heart, you know, rising past Donnarumma. It's it's a it's a brilliant finish. It's a brilliant finish, but it's the sort of finish that we shouldn't be surprised that Wissam Ben Yedder can produce. So we've seen him score score some fabulous goals, and I wanted to, to say as well, I'm really pleased for Alex Nubel because the he's he's got a huge burden. Okay, this is this is a, it's a burden that many French players have carried from being from being labelled as the next Zinedine Zidane. Well, he's labelled as the next Manuel Neuer and has been for a long time, especially because he came through at Schalke, the same club as, as Neuer, and is now at the same club as Neuer on loan, on a two-year loan from, from Bayern Munich at, at Monaco. We all know that he started really badly at Monaco. He admitted himself he started really badly, but he said since the turn of the year, he's felt much more confident in himself. Monaco have looked uh, significantly more solid. I think that's something like six clean sheets. Um, under Philippe uh, Clement in in ten games, which is a, a pretty handy record, and he made some, he made some really really good saves yesterday. But as you say, you want to look at those Lequipe marks in in uh, for, for Paris Saint Germain. It's almost as if Mets were playing five five players with two, including Neymar. Uh, three of them with three, and one of those is Mbappe. Neymar's, I mean Neymar's attitude throughout was just shocking. It was shocking. And I tell you, it wasn't only him. It wasn't only him. You know, even in the first half, Mbappe wasn't wasn't giving it very much. I wasn't particularly surprised that they both got booked. They both looked, they looked like they didn't really want to be there. And, that, you know, when you've got 10 games left to go, that that that's very worrying, isn't it? Isn't it, Andreas? And, you know, Pochettino, to be fair to him, he's not said much this season, but he is starting to to call his players out. And he said at the weekend as well that he wants to stay on as PSG manager, but he wants to see what the club's plan is in terms of moving forward, in terms of, he didn't say this exactly, but reading between the lines, changing the way this club functions because he, you know, he's, he's not a happy coach either. No, I, I can't see that happening, Matt. I mean, first, yeah, credit to, to Monaco. There was a lot of speculation about Philippe Clement's job before the job and the players came through for him. You know, you got the impression before before that match Philippe Clement was saying, look, go out and, and play for the club and play for me. They were, they were excellent. PSG were awful. I mean, I think that's the worst performance I've seen in the QSI era. You, you, you've both said it. There was no commitment. There was a poor attitude. The formation. I mean, you know, okay, there's no Di Maria and there's no Messi. So why not give a youngster a chance? You know, they've got a lot of good youngsters coming through. Michu, Simons. 
Instead, they play Wijnaldum and Danilo as sort of in a 4-4-2, completely lost. Wijnaldum said that in the halftime interview you might have seen. He was, you know, like a lot of Dutch players, quite quite uh, candid. And he didn't really seem to know what was going on. I'll tell you what I did see, just very quickly, Andreas. I saw from my position in the stand, you see the PSG players walking off down the tunnel. Someone has to give an interview at halftime. And the number of players who just avoided avoided yeah. that particular situation. And Wijnaldum, for the second game in a row, has done the halftime interview. Probably because I think, I'm not saying the others aren't polite, but probably if somebody asked him to do something. And I'm not sure, you know, he's, he's a guy, he had about three touches in the first yeah. half. He's yeah. completely lost out there. And I, I kind of, I, I kind of felt for him, but I mean, look, he went there as a defensive midfield player. He's the only one interested player. enough, maybe, to yeah. stop and talk. He went there as a defensive midfield player. He's played out of position. Uh, he said it. Uh, Pochettino, I mean, his body language—he was completely, from what I saw, you'd had a better view, um, Matt. He, he didn't seem to show any emotion during the match. No, he just sat there. He was and sat Philippe there with, was with his an absolute live wire, yeah, yeah, with his lapel up against, you know, over his chin. Um, you want surely you want a coach to be you know encouraging his players by the touchline. Miguel D'Agostino was the same; didn't seem to move. Very poor body language. There was just nothing there from PSG. And, and at the end, there was an interview with Mbappe, who who did give an interview, and he was a little bit like a sort of very polite, uh, a little bit like a robot. Uh, Monaco are a great team. Monaco deserve to win. Uh, and then he said something interesting: was like whatever, whatever. Even if we win eight nil, people just talk about the Champions League. It was like he was wanted to show his anger a little bit, but he's he's a very composed uh, young man, so he so he didn't do it. It was it was an awful afternoon, Matt. I, I can't see any positive. He's got a point. He's he's, he's got, got a point. point yeah. Because people, I think people have taken for granted PSG's domination in the past. So he's like, well, actually, in the past we've been you know romping and scoring five six goals a game, and people will still have a have a go at us. But I mean, you know, that is. That comes with the territory, doesn't it? Insofar as we know that PSG season is going to be judged on the Champions League. Exactly. I mean, look, come they, up short. They, they got 15 points, so it's less now. It's 12. But yeah, the, they'll win the league. But it, it's it's almost like they're thinking of the summer holidays already. And come on, we're in March. There still is a lot to play for. And I say again, you've re- they've really got to be playing some young players. I mean, for me, the outstanding player on the pitch was Yusuf Fofana. He, he's from Paris. He went through, he played for Red Star and then carried his career in Monaco. Um, we've said it before, why aren't PSG picking up young, hungry players from the Paris region? I looked at the, the, the French squad for the internationals next week. You've got Nkunku, who went through the PSG system. You've got Kingsley Coman, who was rejected by PSG. You've got Fafana, you've got Andres, who's from you've Paris. Got, I, I can help you here. You've yeah. got eight. There you go. Eight out of the 23 came through the PSG Academy. Only one of them is at PSG. That's Kimpembe. Well, that says it all. I didn't, I didn't do, do that calculation. It, it, uh, it, well done for doing it. And then there's all these players who like don't go through PSG, like Yusuf Fafana, who are from the Paris area. Uh, who would you want to play tomorrow? Would you want Fafana or, or Danilo or Wijnaldum? You know, I would pick Fafana any day. Yeah, Danilo, Danilo, in fairness, has been really good in the last couple of months, but I'd rather have Fafana in my squad yeah. for sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm just looking at the um, age element as well. Where's the next generation coming through? PSG is an aging team. And it if I was in charge of their recruitment this summer, I'd be looking at young players, young French players who are hungry. I wouldn't go looking for another big star. No, and they are working hard. They are investing in the youth. Um, but I, I can't remember who it was. Was it Kingsley Coleman? I was reading an interview. who was saying, you know, that the, the problem is they want instant results and, and therefore they don't give 
the young players the time you need to bed in. But I think it's time to, to change that strategy. Yeah. I, I mean, mean Habib Bay was talking the other day over the weekend that PSG talk a lot about, well, it's great for these young players to be training with, with, with Messi and Mbappe. But that's not a patch on actually playing football. And I think that's a good point. Of course, it's great to be training with Messi. I mean, who wouldn't love that? But nothing replaces going out and playing. And to me, yesterday would have been the perfect opportunity to bloody youngster. Um, question from Benjamin Chetty in uh, Texas. He says, with PSG crashing out of the Champions League and the fan base chaotic, as chaotic as it's been in recent history, is it not the perfect time for Paris FC to finally hold on uh, long enough and get that promotion to Ligue 1? Um, what do we think, guys? It would know, be fantastic to have a, a Paris derby, to have two Paris clubs in the in the top tier. Um can can Paris FC do it? And is there a future, Ian, for two um, two Paris clubs in the top tier? Well, surely there's a future for two Paris clubs in the top tier, isn't there? I mean, look at the, look at the, the size of the city, the size of the surrounding area. You'd have thought that yes, absolutely, it would be great to see Red Star as well up there. Um, I think they're down in the third the third tier right now. But it'd be it'd be great to have more Parisian clubs. I mean, what's what's the closest what's the closest Ligue 1 club to, to Paris Saint-Germain. Lille? Lille. Lille, yeah. Um, Nantes or Reims? Nantes or Reims, yeah. I mean, you're talking, you're talking a good sort of an hour, an hour, hour and a half drive away. Um, so I, I think absolutely, there's a huge, there's, we talked about the huge pool of players and perhaps, and perhaps, just to go back to the point that Andreas just made, perhaps having a second Parisian club in Ligue 1, that's where those young hungry Parisian players would get their opportunity at the, at the top level more so than perhaps uh, than than perhaps at Paris Saint-Germain can they can they hang on um well it's it's I'm just having a quick look at the the, the league de table uh Toulouse look like they're coming back and of course they just missed out last season in the playoff to to Nantes but you've got Paris FC on on 56 Ajaccio on 55 and Auxerre on 54 um, with Sosha on fifty-one, Le Havre down ten points, ten points adrift. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna come back up. But the problem is that if you miss out on that automatic uh, promotion place, then it's a playoff, and everybody knows that anything can happen in in these playoffs. So if if Paris FC don't hold on, and it is as I say, it's extremely tight, and what they've they've got. Uh, eight games left as well. <laughs> then through the playoffs is is an incredibly perilous route, and they've got to play a league one team at the end of it. Regardless of how bad we've said that that league one team is to finish third, um, then third from bottom, I should say, then they're, they're still a league one team with some quality players. And um, it, it's, I think it's, um, I, I just getting a little note from from Robbie. The last time we had two Paris-based clubs in the top flight. 1989-90 season, Paris and, and Racing Club, which uh, which are I think no more. I think Luis Fernandez was there at, uh, at a certain time as well. But um, yeah, it would be it would be excellent to have two Paris clubs at, at the very least, and ideally more. Absolutely. <clears throat> You're listening to Ian Holyman on Le Bourgeois, the official League on Uber Eats podcast. We uh, we welcome your emails, League One Podcast at gmail Get involved uh, on our Twitter account as well at League One Podcast. Um, and of course, subscribe, rate us on the different podcast platforms, talk to your friends about us. Um, 
that would be that would be greatly appreciated. Let's talk about slightly happier things from uh, from Sunday. Um, Monaco a seventh in the table now. Massive massive win for them that just about keeps them in touch as far as the European battle is concerned. They are four points behind Strasbourg who are who are in fifth. There may be. Um, Europe for the team that finishes sixth, depending on the Coupe de France final between uh, Nice and Nantes. Um, I had the chance to talk to Aurelien Chouameni, who um, I interviewed him last year in, in French, and he, he told me that he was capable of speaking English. So I, I put the, the challenge to him. And uh, here, here is what he had to say, the Monaco midfielder. Aurelien, fantastic uh, victory and a really strong performance. You wanted to, to react today. Yes, for sure. Uh, we struggled a lot uh, last uh, last games, and um, we we just want to to make a good performance uh, in front of uh, our um, our full stadium uh, against a great team, the, the PSG. And uh, at the end, we we won. It was a great game by us, and we are very happy. How hard has it been in in the last few weeks and even the last days? There's been talk about the coach's future. How tough has it been for for the club? We we just focus on uh, on our game. Uh, yes, we we didn't had a good result uh, last games, but uh, at the end, uh, every time we have a, a new game, it's a, a new history, and uh, we won. So as I said, we are we are very happy. Now we will have uh, the the international duty uh, with our our national teams, and after we will come back to to continue to to do a great job. I saw at the end the coach was was talking to you, without telling us exactly what he said. What was the the gist of the the message? He was just uh, happy uh, for my my performance. Uh, he told me that uh, he's very happy with me, uh, and um, he, he told me to to rest a little bit during the the international break, and after to come back to to continue to do a, a good job. You're, you're six points now behind Nice and Marseille. Nine games to go for you. What's the what's the objective now, realistically? To be honest, now we we have um, nine games left, I think, and um, every game will be a, a final. Uh, we will take uh, each game by each game, and at the end we will see if we uh, if we are rewarded. So yeah, um, Andreas, you mentioned how good Fofana was. Chuamani impressive perhaps slightly less eye-catching but he's such a good footballer he's back in Didier Deschamps squad um could well be featuring in in the upcoming games could even be a starter at the World Cup rumors that Real Madrid want him he's been linked to Manchester United for quite some time and interesting to hear him speaking pretty good English there he's uh, definitely one to keep to keep our eyes on I, I really like Drew many um and that's why I think there is some hope for Monaco AS Monaco because they do have some really good young players. Uh, Diop didn't play yesterday. Um, the question is, can they hold on to them? And I find it fascinating. It's an interesting club because we, we know it's sort of a unique club down down at Monaco. And it's a good place for a young player, I think, to break through in Ligue 1 because there isn't really much pressure down there. The local press, there's very few fans and the fans are, are very well behaved, let's put it that way. And it's a question of at what stage do you go up at upper level in your career? And... It's going to be really interesting to me this summer how Monaco try and persuade, if they do, to persuade those young players to stay because they've been given a lot of responsibility. I mean, Truemeni and, and Fafana, they're, you know, they're, they're the, the, the two number sixes, if you want to put it that way, in the Monaco midfield. And when they're good, they're really good. But, you know, they're young players, so we've got to, we've got to take that in mind. So, you know, what, what can they do to keep, to keep those two players? Are they going to change the project, to use that horrible word? Um, because they're, they're two... Root, 
really good talent, so, as is Sofiane Diop, who didn't play, and they've got two or three coming through as well. So it, it, it's potentially good years ahead for Monaco if they can keep those young players, I think. Yeah, Badia Shields, another one. Yeah. 20 years of age, more than 100 games already for Monaco. Disassi um, is a little bit older. He was good, actually, against yeah. PSG. Play, played very well. He's a little bit more inconsistent, maybe, than somebody. He's a very imposing and uh, and uh, impressive impressive centre-back. Um, let's um, quickly talk Bordeaux. Sorry, Bordeaux fans, if you've been waiting uh, to, to, um, to hear until the end of the podcast. Um, it was a horrible weekend, horrible afternoon for, for Bordeaux at home against Montpellier. Uh, they went two down after 16 minutes. Um, Montpellier had two players sent off. Bordeaux had the whole second half to try to score against nine men. They didn't. Albert Ellis missed a penalty in the in, in the first half as well. So a horrible night. Uh, they are bottom, a horrible afternoon. They're bottom of the league still. They're now six points adrift from 17th place. Um, and off the pitch, it's pretty ugly as well. There was a clash between the goalkeeper, Benoit Costil, and the fans, the ultras uh, behind the goal. Um, Costil made a hand sign that was effectively accusing the fans or suggesting that the fans have been bought by the management. Um, and the, there's this feeling, it seems, in the dressing room that everybody is against the players. Um, Gerard Lopez, who who was uh, at the head of the, the takeover um, this year, has been very close to the supporters. The supporters are, are backing him. Um, and at the end of the game, Ian, where the, the, the players were almost barricaded in the dressing room because the uh, the fans... Uh, several hundred supporters came round the back and wanted to confront the players, wanted an exchange with them. This goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier in the pod about the, the fans feeling involved in the running of a, a football club and feeling like they have a right to talk to the players. There was an exchange that was led by the captain, Joshua Gilavogi. It wasn't a productive one. He was basically jeered and, and, and shouted down. Um, doom and gloom, Ian, at, at Bordeaux. Nine games to play six points to make up's not looking not looking like they're capable of it <laughs> well i remember i remember tipping saint-etienne for certain relegation a, a few weeks ago and then <laughs> you give me a hard time when they turn things around matt so uh, i'm not going to tip bordeaux for anything but five points in 2022 um and they are just not they're just not good enough are they i mean you do look at you look at the squad and you think, well, they shouldn't really be there. So maybe you've got to, you do have to question their spirits. Um, they've not kept a clean sheet. They've not kept a clean sheet. Full full stop. <laughs> this season, that's the first uh, the first time a club has not kept a clean sheet after twenty nine games since nineteen sixty. Again, you've you've got to question their attitude. What what are they doing? Yes, the. The fan, the fans. I don't agree that the fans necessarily have to have a right to speak to the players. They they speak to the players by jeering them when they come onto the pitch, booing them when they're on the in possession, or not just turning up and paying any money, and stopping supporting the club. Why don't why why don't fans have the right to talk to players? They they do, they do, they they do, they do talk to they the don't. players by booing them. <laughs> they, they're not going to have a conversation. They don't know. No, but it's good if, if, if fans, it needs to be done in a controlled environment. Yeah, but well, it's good if there can be di- dialogue between the Yeah, but it's, ne- it never, it, it's never going to be a controlled environment, <laughs> is it, at the end of the game when you've got guys leaning over the railings trying to get at Benoit Costil. So, 
that's 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 not a good situation. They're not going to sit around and have a coffee and discuss it calmly, are they? <laughs> there's, there's two. The, the passions are running too 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 high. But the glass of red, a glass of red. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> but um, well, but um, the the fans the fans do have the right, but they have to do it via that and I think the Bordeaux fans have made that clear and it's not making any difference you you came you came round to the fact that Costille feels that everybody's against them blah 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 well if that's the case how how often did Sir Alex Ferguson try and get the them and us mentality uh, and and his side really thrived on that well why are the yeah, Bordeaux fans the fans are meant to be part of that well yes not yeah okay be- but if I'm a player if yeah. I'm a Bordeaux player I look at the table I think that is pretty shameful our points tally is shameful. The fact that we haven't kept a clean sheet all season, not all season. Come on, that's shameful. The thing is, the thing is, Ian, can I just say, because I'm looking at the starting 11 here and it's just a hodgepodge of players, a collection of, you know, all league on teams, they've got, the, they've got these sort of five or six guys in their 11 who've been there for a long time, who know something about the football club. I guess Benoit Costil um, is is an exception because he's been there for. But you, you look at Igna, the midfield: Ignatenko, Fran Sergio, Gilavogi. Um, you've got Gregerson, Marcelo, Ahmed Hodzic. So the two centre backs joined in January. Gregerson last summer. Ellis, Mara, Huang. You know, with all due respect to these guys, what do they care about? This footballing institution that is Bordeaux, and of course they're professionals. They they they'll they'll try their their hardest, but there's no soul in that club. There's no Bordeaux identity in that club. Well, the, no? the, it's, I mean, it's at war with itself, isn't it? And going back to Ian's uh, point, getting together when you've got Gerard Lopez, who's who's a canny guy. You know, he's a very good communicator. We saw that at Lille, and and the coach criticizing their own players. That, to me, that's the contrast with Sentetti. And I, I was going to pick you up on that, Ian, because I remember we did a podcast and you were saying Sentetti and no chance. I, I think the difference is Bordeaux, is Sentetti and weren't at war with themselves in the way that Bordeaux are. Because when, when you've got the president and a coach criticizing players in public, we know how a lot of players react. And it's going back to what Matt was saying. They're going to say, what do I care? I'm going to leave at the end of the season. And unfortunately, a lot of players are like that. Um, and that just comes back to bad management of the club, bringing in the wrong players. And yesterday, I mean, <clears throat> I'll give you another stat. It was the first time, apparently, that in Ligue 1, a team had played against nine men and not scored for a half, for a half of football. Uh, I mean, that's shocking as well. You've really got to score against nine men. And Bordeaux are pretty good up front. I mean, they've got Ellis and Huang. They've actually got a few goals in them, Bordeaux. So it's surprising that they couldn't get one past, past Montpellier, who... Incidentally, scored two brilliant goals. Uh, they're definitely worth looking at. Two fantastic goals from Montpellier. But I, I can't see Bordeaux coming back from this, not partly because of the players, but just what's going on in the club. I mean, can you imagine what training is going to be like this week? It, it, you know, are players are going to be talking to each other. How, how are you going to get that defence in shape? I, I, unfortunately, because it's a great club with a really good tradition. I mean, you know, they've, they've produced some of the great players of French football, including, including Zidane, or certainly they developed his career um, I can't see them staying up. No, there's a bit of a gap. There's a bit of a gap that's developed. We've got Bordeaux on 22 points, their bottom Mets on 23 points. Um, and then above them, Saint-Étienne in 18th, they've got 27. So that's a, a playoff against uh, a, a Ligue 2 side. Um, one point above Saint-Étienne, you've got Lorient and Clermont, so they're still in trouble. Trois, two points um, above. Trois drew 1-1 with Saint-Étienne on Friday. Um and then you've got Angers in 14th, 
what a relief for Angers. Uh, seven defeats in a row, and then they, they got a 1-0 win over Brest, which was exactly what they needed um, at, at the weekend. That gives them a little bit of, uh, little bit of breathing space. Um, other results uh, from round 29. Lille got a 1-0 victory away to Nantes. That despite Timothy Weir getting sends off. Nantes bubbles burst a little bit since they got to the Coupe de France final. Maybe they're putting all their eggs in the, in the Coupe de France basket. Um, other results, Lorient nil, Strasbourg nil. That's a good point for Lorient, really. Two points dropped for Strasbourg in their bid to qualify for, for the Champions League. And Reims nil, Lyon nil. Very disappointing for Lyon. I know that Reims are a side that are very tough to beat. They're getting, uh, they're getting good results at the moment. Reims, they're going to be safe. But uh, Lyon still in mid-table, down in 10th, having uh, got past Porto in, in the Europa League. Um, we're going to look forward to round 30 now. Um, there is a break. There is uh, an international break. So we're talking two weeks time. Um, Saturday, the 2nd of April, Nice against Rennes. That's it's not a bad one to, to start off again, isn't it? So that's what, fourth against third. Um, Lille, Bordeaux, Saint-Étienne, Marseille. They're the games on Saturday. Uh, the action concludes on Sunday, seven games on Sunday with PSG Lorient. Um, at the end of it, let's go on a bon voyage then and uh, decide where we would like to go. All right, I'm going to throw this one to Ian. I'm a bit wary of Andreas because last time he was on, he said he wanted to go to Mauritius. He, he didn't quite get the gist of what this is about. It has to be a league on ground, um, preferably in connection with a game in, in round 30. So what do you think, Ian? Well, a lot, a lot of restrictions there, Matt. But um, <laughs> there, there's some really, there's some really, really good games um, to to look forward to. I, you, you can't really look past Nice against Rennes, uh, which is, which is a, re- it's, it's become a much bigger game even now for for Nice following yesterday's defeat. Rennes just full of goals and a Nice. What I mean, it, it, the name says it all, doesn't it? It's just a really, really nice place to go. The, the The city is beautiful. You've got the Med Coast. You've got the weather. The food's great. Lots of that that Mediterranean diet, which which was is also necessary for most of us on this podcast uh, this morning, um, would certainly help. And it's just it's just a, and it's a brilliant stadium too. It's a, it's a great stadium. Be, care- be careful though, Ian, because don't do what I did. It, it was. It was colder down in Monaco this weekend than in Paris. So I went with, you know, a, a light sort of uh, jacket and um, bloody freezing up in the, in, in, in the commentary <laughs> position. Be careful. Um, but yeah, cracking game. Absolutely. Andreas, what do you, what do you fancy? Well, Mauritius is really nice this time of year. It's, no, no, it's got to be Nice. I, I agree. I, I really like going to Nice because it, it's, it's got everything. I mean, Ian, it, are you working for the Nice Tourist Board these days? Because you really have sold it very well. well. I agree with every word. But on the pitch, it's, it's just going to be fascinating because, you know, Nice good defensively. Ren can't stop scoring goals. So, I mean, that's just going to be fascinating, is I mean, can can uh, Nice um, thwart that brilliant Ren attack? We'll have to wait and see. I'm disappointed neither of you have gone for the Champagne Derby between <laughs> Troyes and uh, Reims. I mean, that's... Uh... That's a corker. Oh, so a oh. <laughs> somebody got up early. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm looking at uh, two fixtures because I think these these four clubs are the best supported clubs in France. Saint Etienne, Marseille on a 
on a on a Saturday night. That that could be useful. But I'm going to get up early on Sunday again. I'm going to go to Strasbourg against uh, Lens. Love Strasbourg, lovely city to to walk around. Um, bit of choucroute, bit of bit of warm wine. Although that's more of a Christmas thing, isn't it? But um, I also want to mention this game because we haven't mentioned Lens, who um, who were victorious at the weekend. They won three one against a team that has just escaped me, Clermont. They beat Clermont 3-1. Um, they wore Ukraine-coloured shirts with uh, peace written in a variety of languages, all the languages of the uh, of the Lens dressing room. Um, and their right fullback, right wing-back, Jonathan Close, is the flavour of the month. He's just been called up by Didier Deschamps. There's a wonderful video doing the rounds um, of all the Lens players watching Didier Deschamps' squad announcement and Jonathan Close just, uh, just breaking down in tears and everybody jumping on him. And it's... It, it, it's an amazing story, this guy who was playing amateur level a few years ago. He's, he's been through the lower leagues in France and in Germany. And at, at 29, he's, um, he's in the France squad. He's in, he's in there with the world champions. And he's just week after week, brilliant for Lens. And he was again um, last weekend against, uh, against uh, Clermont. So I'm going to go and see Strasbourg against Lens. Should be a cracker. Um, Santa Santa Claus loves Strasbourg because it's uh, they have a Christmas market, and I don't know what I'm talking about. It's the um, uh, it's the Jonathan Classical, in fact, <laughs> because uh, he's Jonathan Classical. Thanks for saving it's me. It's the Classical because a- he was he was born in Strasbourg. He was at the academy for ten years, was let go, and as you said, has swum around the amateur leagues. There's just some great stories going on about him. Where he was up in Normandy at Avranche, and um, he he just got a pair of clippers and decided that he would cut his coach's hair. Uh, while his coach was doing an interview, just just started to trim it, just to shave it around. Yeah. He's a character. He's a real personality. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He was well, playing near you, uh, 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 Yes, Rouen, he was playing in Rouen, and then he and then he went well. to Armenia Bielefeld uh, in 2018, and that's where his career took off. And ironically, it's only because a move to Dynamo Brest, that's yeah. in Belarus, fell through. I mean, I mean, there's a lot Brilliant of sort stuff. of cynicism in in the in the world about playing for France, but I, I it really was a wonderful video because you see how much it means to him and his teammates. It was a really nice a nice video and shows you know there is still a soul in this game and good good luck to him. Yeah. Let's hope he actually plays. Absolutely, and because he was playing in Germany, I assumed he was called Jonathan Klaus. So, like <laughs> the first commentary, I called him that, but it is close. It's Jonathan Klaus, the French, the French way. Thank you very much, Andreas and Ian. Absolutely. Uh, Brilliant to have you on this morning. Uh, shame it's an international break, two weeks until the next uh, podcast. But thank you to all of our listeners for, for joining us. If you think you know the Deja Who conundrum, League One Podcast, gmail.com. We'll be back again next time. All the very best. Have a good break. Ciao, ciao. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it.